and welcome to the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. I'm Mark Rees, and on each episode, I investigate a different, weird, and wonderful subject. And on this episode, we are going to explore a handful of real-life ghost stories in which the apparitions affect our senses in different ways. From musical ghosts, we have the ghost of a harper coming up, to ghosts that can touch. And I don't mean touch lightly, these are ghosts that can leave bruises behind. And so, to begin at the beginning. And there are places in Wales and across the world that are said to be haunted based on evidence that is experienced by only one or a few, but not all of the senses. So somebody might see or smell or feel something, but not all three of them together. The waft of lavender might suggest a Victorian woman's perfume. A fleeting white soundless shape might suggest the death shroud of a tormented soul. And the sensation of being touched by icy fingers when there are no fingers icy or otherwise anywhere near you might suggest that somebody or something is reaching out from beyond the veil to grab you. And then, of course, there is also sound, because people hear ghosts. Even if you don't see them, feel them or smell them, people can hear them. And that's exactly what happens in our first account that takes place in Greenbridge Cave near Pendine in Carmarthenshire, where there is a story in that neighbourhood that long ago an old fiddler entered once into this cave with his fiddle and a lighted candle to see his way, which is a very evocative scene. You can picture this in your mind. Even if you've never heard of Greenbridge Cave, you can just imagine this man taking those first tentative steps into the darkness, his candle flickering in the wind. Well, more than just flickering, because can you believe it? His candle went out when he was in there so that he failed to find his way out of the cave again. And while it is unknown if he ever escaped or if he died in that lonely dark cave struggling to find his way out again, it has been suggested that he remains and he has been heard there playing his fiddle. So that's one case of a ghost that is heard and not seen. Another is a spirit that lurks in a river, the River Tyvey, that forms the border between Carmarthenshire and Ceredigion. And it is there near Llandesil, where there is a pool, we are told, in the River Tyvey, known as the Pool of the Harper. And yes, that name is something of a spoiler. You can probably guess where this story is going to go. But in this tale, collected by our roving folklorist who visited the area some centuries ago, we are told to quote that it is said that an old harper was drowned there long ago and that it is still believed by some that on a fine summer afternoon one hears his spirit playing his harp in the pool. So another ghost that is heard 
if not seen. This time the sound of the Welsh harp instead of the flute. But it's another musical ghost. It's another ghost that makes a sound which, frankly, if they're going to make a sound, it's better off being a harp or a fiddle than some screaming banshee that pops up and scares the pants off you. Like I always say, if you're going to have a noisy ghost, at least have one that plays nice music. Not that it specifies exactly what tunes they were playing. I don't know if they took requests. I don't know if you could say, play me some Vivaldi, play me some Mendelssohn, play me a concerto. That would be a handy ghost to have around. Now, our folklorist also tells us that it is not often we hear in Wales of good spirits appearing. And by good spirits appearing, he does, of course, mean nice spirits, because as regular listeners of this podcast will know, Wales is full of evil, diabolical, nasty, mean, wicked, hideous, dangerous, demonic, malicious spirits popping up. But there are less episodes about the good spirits, about the nice guys. But if we go back in time, back through the mists of time to the 1700s, that's how far back you have to go to find a good ghost. Back to the 1700s when the good old reverend Edmund Jones was busting ghosts all around Wales, he recorded the following curious tale, which, while not strictly relating to just one sense, this one is cheating slightly, I mean, it's not relating to one at all, this relates to two senses, but one of them is sound. And his curious tale goes like this. There lived at a place called Pant, which is between Carmarthen and Larne towns, one Mr. David Thomas, a holy man who worshipped the Lord with great devotion and humility. He was also a gifted brother and sometimes preached. So right from the start, we are being told this man, this Mr. David Thomas, is a good, honest Christian Welshman. And to continue, on a certain night, for the sake of privacy, he went into a room which was out of the house, but nearly adjoining it in order to read and pray, which to me sounds a little bit like he might be popping to the outside toilet to read and pray. Out to the tea bar, but of course I'm sure he wasn't. How dare I say such things about such a pious man? I'm sure there were other rooms adjoining his house he could pop outside to go to. But whatever this room was, it was there he went and sat at prayer and was very highly taken up into a heavenly frame when the room was suddenly enlightened. And to that degree that the light of the candle was swallowed up by a greater light and became invisible. So Mr. David Thomas was praying so intensely in that room that may or may not be a toilet, that a light illuminated it that was so bright he no longer needed the candle. And with or in that light, he saw what is described as a company of spirits. A company of spirits like children in bright clothing. And these children, these spirits that he took to be children, appeared very beautiful and sung. Yes, they sung. And see, this is where it all becomes relevant. This is where they become musical ghosts. But he recollected only a few words of what they sang. And it went like this. And I'll read it in Welsh first, and then I'll translate. They sang, and fear not, I will not sing this to you. I wouldn't inflict that onto your ears. I will just read this. But feel free to repeat this in your own heavenly voices. But they sang... 
pa hyd, pa hyd, dychwelwch faibion adda, which means how long, how long return ye sons of Adam, how long, how long return ye sons of Adam, which you might be thinking sounds a lot like something from the Bible, something like a psalm, and you would be right. But to continue, after a time, he lost sight of them. And as they receded, the light of the candle again came to appear when the great light of the glorious company was gone. So this sounds like the angelic choir, if that's what it was. This this choir, this group of children who were singing this, this heavenly music was slowly fading away, slowly fading from sight, and they faded to the point where the candle once more was brighter than they had been, which left him alone in the room once more. And being so immersed in the heavenly disposition as it's described he was so overcome with a love that he fell down to thank and praise the lord and while he was at this heavenly exercise the room enlightened again the glowing light was back those angelic children the angelic choir was back and the light of the candle became invisible once more and the glorious company sung but he was so amazed at what he saw and heard that he could remember only the following words and there's a pattern here this is the second time they've popped up and it's the second time he was so amazed he forgot all the words except for these, which I will do again in Welsh first, then in English. And the words this time, for their encore performance, I guess you could call it, the words this time were Parhid, Parhid ar erlidioch, which means how long, how long will ye persecute the godly Christians? And once again, you might be thinking those words sound very biblical. They sound very psalmy. If if there's such a word as psalmy, I don't know, but I'm sure you understand what I mean. And after a while, they departed. They were off once more and the candlelight appeared again. And to end this account, the good reverend who recorded this tells us that, to quote, any Christian who enjoyed much of God's presence will easily believe that David Thomas was now lifted up very high in the spiritual life by this extraordinary visitation from heaven. Which is all well and good and very nice for Mr. David Thomas, who I am sure is enjoying the pleasures of heaven right now. But let's get back to those evil, malicious, devious, demonic, and lots of other descriptive words for those nasty ghosts. And how, while these godly men and women might have been blessed with visits from spirits who sang such heavenly songs they couldn't even remember the words. But the devil, it would appear, also sent spirits of his own. And while the devil has the best music, as we all know, the devil gave rock and roll to the world, which I know slightly contradicts what Kiss told us. But the devil gave us rock and roll. And incidentally, I've just finished writing a book that is coming out next year. And this does include, and there can't be many stories like this in the world, but the ghosts of a group of 50s rock and roll teenagers that haunt a beach, which sounds a bit like the cast of Grease haunting a beach, but in Wales, of course, not in Chicago. But anyway, a little teaser there, a little sample of what to expect next year, because I'm sure I will do an episode to coincide with it. But anyway, back to this episode. And while the devil might have the best music, in this account, these evil spirits were not 
tickling our eardrums, as it were. They were tickling our skin, our flesh. And maybe tickling is putting it a little bit mildly. They were more than tickling the flesh. In some cases, they were beating their victims. They were beating the flesh and turning it black and blue, such as this account from Gwynedd. And it was about the year 1758, at the house of a certain farmer in the parish of Llanllechid, the village near Bethesda, where there was a great disturbance from an evil spirit casting stones into and about the house. So this is definitely not a choir of Angels, it's definitely not playing the tuneful strains of Vivaldi or Mendelssohn, although I guess you could call it musical in a sense, with all the banging noises these stones made as they hit their targets. And it wasn't just the house that was being hit, because, to quote, these evil spirits were beating and wounding people. Beating and wounding people. Definitely not Vivaldi, not even Corelli. And the stones they were using, these musical stones they were using to beat and wound people, were of diverse sizes, up to 27 pounds in weight. And to put that into perspective, I did a quick internet search to find something that might weigh roughly 27 pounds, because I appreciate not all of my listeners might be familiar with such measurements of weight. And I discovered that a three-tier wedding cake weighs 10 pounds. So these stones could weigh about the same as nearly three three-tier wedding cakes, which is something of a tongue twister. Or to put it another way, one really tall wedding cake, I guess. Maybe not quite nine, but a seven or eight-tier wedding cake. That's one heck of a cake, and that's one heck of a heavy stone. And to continue, some clergymen from Bangor came to the rescue, and they came to read prayers and did their best with a good design, but they were also beaten and obliged to go away. The holy men were also beaten. Reading prayers was too weak a means to drive an enraged evil spirit away. And these are described as persons of strong faith who had the spirit and gift of prayer in some great measure. Even they could not beat away this powerful demonic force, as it were. And they discovered that most of the stones that were being thrown were river stones. So these were not stones magically appearing from thin air or from hell even, wherever they might come from. They weren't stones pulled from the house itself. The source of these stones was the river that ran nearby. And this disturbance was so great that the family, we are told, to quote, removed thence. They removed thence, which is an old-fashioned way of saying they legged it. They made a run for it, and the person who related this story, this story went from a witness to a reverend to the folklorist who then recorded it, and then to me, of course, who's now telling you this via the magic of the internet. But the person who witnessed this said that he was struck with a stone himself of about five pounds in weight, he thought, which we now know is a stone that weighed roughly the same as half of a three-tier wedding cake. And finally, we are going to end with a short tale of an evil spirit, which is also a little teaser of the next episode. So this story about an evil spirit, although in a way it's also a good spirit, it's an evil slash good spirit, but I'll come to that soon. But this account will have little clues that will lead into what's coming up on the next episode. And it concerns a lake in 
Banai Brachainiog. And that, I think, is the first time I've used the words Banai Brachainiog on this podcast since the Brecon Beacons reverted back to its original name of Banai Brachainiog. So, just in case you didn't know, the Brecon Beacons is no longer known officially by its English language name. It is now known by its original Welsh language name again. And I rarely get political on this podcast. In fact, I never get political on this podcast because I just want it to be a nice place that anyone and everyone, wherever you are in the world, can escape for half an hour and listen to me talking rubbish for a while. But just by using the words Banai Brachainiog, I am, as far as some people are concerned, making a political choice. And this might sound absolutely bonkers to my international listeners, who I am assuming have not had to put up with this in the press. But here in Britain, some people are outraged that Welsh people might want to call a Welsh place by its original Welsh name, which is Banai Brachainiog. And as far as I'm concerned, I couldn't care less what people call it. You can call it Monkey Island for all I care. But me personally, from this episode onwards, it will be known as Banai Brachainiog or just Banai for short. And if you could do me a favour, if you do go back and listen to any of my older episodes and I use the words Brecon Beacons, just close your eyes and imagine me saying Banai Brachainiog instead. But anyway, I'm glad that's out of the way. And back to the more important things like evil spirits. And this particular tale takes place in, you guessed it, Banai Brachainiog. And a young man in Banai Brachainiog, after the death of a first cousin of his, was haunted by his apparition wherever he went after sunset. So after dusk, when the sun had set, he was followed by the spirit of his dead cousin. And to quote, the young man was understandably afraid to speak to him, which frankly, if I was in the same situation, I don't think I'd want to speak to them either. And never mind speak to them. They just wanted to get a million miles away from them. But the spirit was quite insistent and for some reason really wanted a conversation with his still living cousin. Very much so, we are told. And so the interaction here is like an introvert and an extrovert at a party. One is doing their best to avoid speaking and to sheepishly sneak away. The other is doing their best to be in their face and start a conversation. And at last, we are told, at last, the apparition set upon him and beat him because he did not speak. We are told, which frankly sounds like one heck of an overreaction. He was beaten. And thankfully, that doesn't happen at parties. If you're not good at small talk, people don't normally set upon you and beat you. But in this case, that's exactly what happened. He did not speak to the spirit. He avoided striking up a conversation. And so it set upon him it beat him, and as it turns out, it worked because it did compel him to eventually open his mouth and speak to the spirit. Although there's a terrible moral to this story, it suggests that violence works, and of course, as we all know, violence never works, except for in this one rare case. And it compelled him to speak, and he said to the spirit of his dead cousin, In the name of God, Howell, my cousin, what dost thou want with me? And I do love it when these old quotes are written in, in Shakespearean English almost. What dost thou want with me? To which he received this answer, 
God's blessing upon thee for speaking to me. And this is a popular theme with these old ghost stories, which I expect will crop up many, many times on this podcast, where a spirit is unable to speak. It wants to speak, but it's unable to speak until somebody asks it in the name of God what it wants, and this magically gives it the gift of speech. Well, maybe not magically, heavenly, it heavenly gives this spirit the gift of speech. And I guess this was much more common in the olden days where people would say things like, in the name of God, we're less likely to say that now. Maybe that's why less ghosts speak to us. But the ghost, the cousin Howell said, God's blessing upon thee for speaking to me. And continued, there is a hatchet in such a place which we are told the spirit did name, but which has been omitted to avoid anyone heading off to this top secret place in Banai Brachainog, presumably. But take it from thence, take the hatchet from thence, and with all of the strength of thine arm, throw it into the lake, and I will trouble thee no more. And having received these instructions, he did exactly what was required, and that was the end of that. It was all relatively easy in the end. I mean, he got beaten, of course, that wasn't great. But eventually, when he spoke the Lord's name, he was able to solve the problem, as it were, and release the spirit and bring us to the end of that tale and bring us to the end of this episode. But as I mentioned, this is a little teaser of the next episode because the lake he was told to throw that hatchet into in Banai Brachainiog was called Llangors Lake. And folklore fans, or maybe just people who follow me on social media or read my books quite closely, might be familiar with the name Llangors Lake because it has a lot more going for it than just the resting place of a ghostly hatchet. It is famous for having a lake monster. Yes, it is home to the Welsh Nessie, or one of the Welsh Nessies at least, and there are also tales of witchcraft devils, fairies. And while I don't usually do cliffhangers, what the heck, I'm going to do a cliffhanger. And if you'd like to know more about that folklore-filled lake and other folklore-filled lakes across Wales, tune in to the next episode. Same bat time, same bat channel. And if you don't want to miss that episode, and why would you want to miss that episode? As always, if you haven't already, please consider hitting the subscribe button and you will never miss an episode ever. And on that nail-biting note, so ends another episode of the Ghosts and Folklore podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and help ensure there is a next episode, it would be a bit rubbish if there wasn't a next episode after all that build-up. But if you'd like to support the podcast, you can treat me to a coffee or treat yourself to some lovely merchandise via my website. And if you'd like more ghosts and folklore, you can follow me on social media. And as well as this podcast, I've also written a number of similar weird and wonderful books, which are available from all good bookshops offline and on and again you can find a full list of all of those books on my website all of which just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening dioch and varian amrando i've been mark reese this has been my ghosts and folklore podcast beaming to you from wales to the world and remember if you do hear some supernatural music floating on the breeze, but you can't find the source, there doesn't appear to be a musician, 
just shout out at the top of your voice in God's name. Play me some Vivaldi. Until next time, Nostar. No